other than Rob's birthday tomorrow. Pastor Rob's birthday is tomorrow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's nearly become an adult. <clears throat> He, he really is 39. Yeah. And it's not one of those, you know, year after year things for some of you that do that. <clears throat> that it's 39 year after year. First anniversary of 39. First anniversary of 39. So congratulations, young man. Today is a special day. It's November the 1st, known as All Saints Day. Now... Uh, All Saints Day is is got a wonderful history. Um, I'm going to share some of it with you, I think, and and then show you a little clip about a friend of ours named Polycarp. Repeat after me, Polycarp. Polycarp. What vision comes to mind? Fish. Fish. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, brother Polycarp, but it just happens to be because of where we live. Um. You know, the Catholic Church, of course, has been the, the leading factor in this, but the church has always honored those early witnesses to the Christian faith that died for their faith. And the the biblical word for witness in the New Testament is the Greek word martus, which is the word we use to get the word martyr. And so uh, a witness for Christ was one that was severely persecuted, uh, offered often tortured and died for their faith, uh, horrible deaths. But the reason for their death was because they were faithful to the Lord Jesus. And Halloween, as we saw go by yesterday, was first started as All Hallows' Eve. Halloween is, means Hallows' Eve. Uh, and it was the vigil that was kept on the night before All Saints' Day, to look forward to honoring all those who had gone before us as believers who had lived out their lives and often died a tortured death to uh, honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then this day is set apart as kind of on the church calendar or all around the world uh, to honor those martyrs. Uh, Later on it became um, extended to all believers that had gone on uh, to be with the Lord, whether they'd been martyred or not. It was just a day to say, you know, there are those who have gone before us, who've run this race and finished their course. And according to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, they're waiting for you and I to get ours done so that we can celebrate together. You know, there, are, there are stories. Uh, how many own the Fox's Book of Martyrs? Anybody own the book? If you don't have one, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's wild reading. Uh, if you get it, it'll it'll give you the the life and death stories of Christian martyrs in the early days, all through time. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is this month's November magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. <clears throat> and I mean, why would there be a magazine today called Voice of the Martyrs unless it was needed? Uh, this month. November 1st, All Saints Day, we can begin to calculate from now to the end of the month an estimate, conservative estimate, about twelve to 1,500 people will die for their faith in this month. That's contemporary. That's not history. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who this month will die because of their faith, because they will 
not deny their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. This ministry has been serving the persecuted church since about 1967, trying to do this exactly, be a voice of the martyrs, to intervene in different countries where persecution is happening, to organize efforts to free people who are incarcerated that are believers. Not always successful, but they continue to uh, work at it. Now, this particular article about Vietnam is called Pastors on the Run. I mean, it's like preach and run. Preach and run. Because if you don't run and they catch you, then that's the end of your preaching. So it's preach and run. Pastors on the run. There's pictures in here of pastor's sons uh, with blood running down their heads from being beaten. There's a picture in here of a pastor's wife being hauled off to jail by a troop of soldiers after they had already arrested her husband. This is contemporary. This is now. And this is kind of what All Saints Day is about. Now, I'm not bright enough uh, without the Holy Spirit to do these things. But the message that I have for you today is called the race of faith from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And as I was writing it up, it was only then that I, it dawned on me how it fell together with this day. So we'll give Jesus the glory for that. Amen? Pastor Jeff's just not that quick. He's bright, but he's not that bright. And so to start this morning, I'm asked Ed to put a clip up for us on, what was the name again? Polycarp. Polycarp, thank you. Mini Carp. Just kidding. Sorry. And uh, kind of give you an idea of an early martyr. As the Roman Empire flourished here in This is a guy named yeah. David. As the Roman Empire flourished here in... Yeah. As the Roman Empire flourished here in Smyrna, it became a pretty rough place for Jews and Christians. Both Jews and Christians were monotheistic faiths, and the Romans instituted emperor worship. Por qué? Por qué? Okay, all you computer geeks. It works at home. It worked this morning. I'd like to take up an offering for a new computer. <laughs> okay, the ushers come. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, this this is will suffice for the moment. Is this not going to happen? You keep working at it, and I'll stall for a couple of minutes. <laughs> Polycarp was a direct. If it doesn't, now I'll, I'll try and do this, and if I get something wrong, and then he makes it work, I'll feel like. Yeah. Polycarp was a direct disciple of the Apostle John who leaned on Jesus' breast. And he was in the area here of Smyrna. And in fact, they they called him the Bishop of Smyrna because he helped lead the churches in that area. And uh, 
We're going to fly? No, it's just waiting. Okay. The Romans saw him as uh, somebody who was stirring up trouble against who they were because they were implementing emperor worship. And this Polycarp guy was out there telling everybody else they should worship Jesus alone. And so he was a problem for them. So they called him from Smyrna to Rome. And they brought him in and said, listen, here's the deal. If you'll just say this one sentence, just say uh, that the emperor is Lord and offer a little incense here at his statue, he won't kill you. Polycarp, 86 years old, stood and said, I wish I had the quote, and I left it up to this video to do it for me. He said something like this. I won't get it verbatim. He said, for these 86 years of my life, Jesus has never failed me. Why should I fail him now? And they said, for that, we'll burn him at the stake. And they hauled him to the stake. And as they took him to the stake, he requested. He said, God will give me the strength to stay at the stake while you burn me alive. You don't need to nail me As the rope? Just tie me there. But God will hold me there. And so they tied him to the stake and they lit the fire. And as the flames came up, the testimony that still exists today, that is true, is that it was though there was a wind around him by the Holy Spirit that kept the flames away from him. And so he stood in the midst of the fire without being burned. And at that, they got a little upset. And so the leader of the moment told one of the soldiers to take his sword and thrust it through the fire and kill him. And so the soldier did that, put the sword through Polycarp, and the story ends this way, that his blood gushed out and extinguished the fire. All of that because of faith. Because of a belief in Jesus Christ. And when you ask the question, um, is Jesus real? You know, men will die for a cause. But they will not die for a lie. They'll die for truth. They'll die for a cause. And this, this month, we'll know that twelve to 1,500 people, and if you don't think that's the case, you can just get a hold of Voice of the Martyrs, and they'll actually give you names, locations. And families that now need prayer because they have no father or husband or mother or child left in their home and they're in distress. Men will not die for a lie. They will die this month for truth and for faith in the saving Christ. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity so powerful is that 11 out of the 12 early apostles there died torturous deaths for Christ. We, we know from history that Peter was crucified upside down. Because he said, I don't deserve to even die in the same fashion as my Lord. So if you're going to crucify me, do me upside down. And they did. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Surrounded by this great cloud, we are 
challenged by this one little verse to run the race, the race of faith. To run the race that's set out in front of you. And I've even mentioned it in the last couple of weeks that uh, jokingly said that how many of you have been running the Christian race and you, you're running with all your worth and you see the tape and here it's coming about the time you force your chest out to break the tape, God moves it about 10 decades down, you know, <laughs> or years and you go, wait, stop, I was almost there. But that really isn't the case. There is a tape, but it's only going to be broken, it won't be broken this side of heaven, really. For all of us in this Christian race. Now would you agree with me? How many of you feel like you're in a race? When you're talking about your Christian life. And uh, there's, there's competitiveness to it. There's tiredness to it. There's training needed. There's effort made in order to hang on. In the most difficult times. This little verse. Because we're surrounded By this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, points out to us that there's a difference between weights and sins. How do we know? There's a little three-letter word in the verse for us in English. It's and. It's conjunction. Conjunction is the little thing that hooks the cars and the train together. At least that's how I learned it in school. You know, if you got two words and you hook them together with this little thing, this coupler was a conjunction. And it means the thing in front and the thing behind are different. So, part of our challenge today is to help you discover, help me discover, what's the difference between sins and weights? And how do they affect us? In John chapter 16, Jesus is teaching. He's talking about going away. In verse 5, he says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. You can always count on Jesus to tell you the truth. He is the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, quick back up to chapter 14, verse 25, where Jesus is speaking there. And he says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper... The Holy Spirit. He identifies this helper. He's not leaving us wondering who the helper is going to be. He says, The helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Back in 16. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Sin. And of righteousness. And of judgment. Righteousness is literally means right standing with God. Whether or not I can stand in His presence in His righteousness is the question, not my own. My own doesn't cut the mustard in the presence of God. All my righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. I don't have any merit to stand in front of God on my own. But He says, if you'll come to Jesus and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll give you His righteousness. Then when you come and stand in front of the Father, you're standing in the righteousness of Christ which is a free gift. It comes by faith, not by works. We know Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us this. But Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict of sin. You know, there are a lot of us who are preachers and teachers of the Bible that would love to stand in front of a group and get on the, get on the, the bandwagon, we might say, or the soapbox of sin, because we can preach hard against sin. 
And if you work at it long enough and you get a long enough list, you can get everybody in the room. Right? But if you're just trying to give it as an illustration, you might pick one or two things that seem to be, uh, to most of us, agreed on as sinful. And then uh, as soon as you say that one or this one, or you know, pick on whatever it is, about 80% of the room goes, Whew, he didn't get mine. <laughs> yeah, preach on those. Those are bad. <laughs> but he didn't get mine. And so you, re- you remain kind of comfortable in the moment. But the Bible says, and Jesus tells us, it's not necessarily my job to convict you of sin, right? It's the Holy Spirit's task. Is when He comes and you invite the Helper into your life, He and you together have no problem figuring out where the sin is in your life. Come on. Is this true? The problem is whether or not we respond to that. He's real good at helping us. If I asked you to take out a piece of paper and write your sins, and you just simply prayed a quick prayer, Holy Spirit, show them to me, you'd have a list. You wouldn't need my help. You wouldn't need your neighbor's help. And husbands and wives, you would not need each other's help. Right? You could do it all by yourself with the Holy Spirit's help. That's not our task this morning. We want to talk about what are the weights that easily ensnare us. Now, the Greek words used here for ensnaring means to skillfully surround and beset, to stand well all the way around and prevail. Our weights prevail against us. Our weights ensnare us. It's that time of year. I've gone to my closet, maybe you've done this, and I've pulled out my bathrobe. I don't use it much in the summer, but it's getting cold. So now I like to keep it next to the bed when I get up, I slip it on. My brother gave it to me for Christmas a few years back. It's one of those real cushy, velour-y kind of things. Yours might be terry cloth. How many of you have one? Bathrobe. Aren't they nice? I mean, it's like wearing a little blanket. But could you imagine strapping that on in the morning, pulling it tight or buttoning it up, whatever yours does, and hopping in the shower with it on and soaking it all the way through. And it sponges up as much water as possible. And then you step out of the shower and you put on your tennis shoes and you say, let's run. What would that look like? You out on the street slopping down the road and, and the corners of this thing would be swacking you. And, and it, would that be an ensnaring? Would that be a hindrance? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of hoping one of you would demonstrate it for us. I almost brought my robe. But that is the picture of the weights that ensnare us. It would be like running with Velcro on or something. You know, just every time you ran, it would slap around and grab you again, and you'd be slowed considerably. Martin Luther said, and by the way, Martin Luther pinned his 99 thesis to the door at Wittenberg in 1517. Yesterday was the anniversary of that. It's just a thought. But he said this about this verse. He said, The weights and the sins which always so cling to us. What hinders us in running the Christian race? And what can we do to encourage you and I to do what this verse says 
lay them aside so that we can better run this race. According to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, our encouragement comes from a very specific place. It comes from a cloud of witnesses. Now we know that prior to this chapter 12, comes 11, even I could figure that out. But in chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith, or the chapter of faith in the Bible. And here is given to us Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and the prophets. And uh, they are listed out in a fashion that, that comes and talks to us about their faith ahead of ours. Tells us what they did by faith. And it comes to this uh, summary that says, you know, by in verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith the harlot Rahab uh, didn't perish. And what more shall I say in verse 32? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weaknesses were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight, the, uh, turned to flight, excuse me, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's the story of Isaiah the prophet, put in a hollow log and sawn in half with the log. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. See, they ran their race. And here's a listing of some of them who ran the race of faith. And now they're waiting for you and I to finish our race. You know, these people are not any different than you and I. They suffered similar temptations. They lived in their own cultural moment. They may not have had all the stuff we've got technologically. They did not have any of the conveniences we share today. But they had the same faith, and they had the same Lord, and they had to stay faithful to running their race. And the Bible says about them, they finished their course. They broke the tape which led from this life to the next, and now they are expecting you and I to run our race in the same fashion. And so the admonition, lay aside the weights. Get the bathrobes off. You know, there's nothing sinful about a bathrobe. Right? They're not sins. They're weights. Get rid of the baggage. Get rid of the stuff that slows you down. And how will you be encouraged? Well, you look to this cloud of witnesses. I may take it to an extreme, but I looked up the word cloud. I thought, what kind of cloud is this? (laughs) We have different kind of clouds, right? You know, we got, uh, what, cumulus and stratus and Stratonimbus and cumulonimbus and see how smart I am? I know all these things. I particularly like the cumulus clouds. You know, the kind where you lay on the back and they're all puffy white and they're huge. And you can see the little animals and things in them. 
But this word in the Greek is nethos, and it's not that kind of a cloud. That's a different word. There are two words in the Greek simply used, and they're very similar. But one means the cloud that's puffy and has an outline and very distinct in the sky, and you can pick it out. That's not the cloud, he says. He says, our cloud of witnesses looks like the marine layer. In other words, when you get up and you look out, it covers the whole sky. There's no breaks in it. It's a huge blanket that fully envelops everything you can see. Seeing how we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, of martus, of martyrs. They encourage us. Some have preached this passage as it were a stadium event. And you and I were taking the track. And as we came out to the track, we looked around and the stands were filled with the martyrs. And they were glancing down at the starting line saying, come on kid, you can do it. I did it, you can do it. And they were cheering us on. It's not really the right view, but it's not a bad one. The idea of others who have gone before us cheering us on, I like it. It may not bear perfectly with the verse and the way it's written. Because I don't hear them cheering me on. I don't know they're there, if that's the case. You don't know they're there unless you've paid attention. I like the King James Version says, seeing we are surrounded. Well, what does it indicate? If it's seeing, that means I'm paying attention. I'm looking for them. I'm uh, watching with uh, some expectancy to find an answer. So when I'm discouraged, I might look to one of them. I might look to Polycarp and say, well, Polycarp went to the you know, thing with just being tied on. And the flames didn't catch him. They killed him nonetheless. But, hey, maybe I could get through the situation at work I'm going through. It's not that bad. The Word of God is one of our sources of encouragement. When we read the accounts of those who have lived before us, as was given in chapter 11, it's all through the Bible. People that lived out by faith, trusting God. You've got to love reading the Psalms. You know, you go to the Psalms to find encouragement. You go to the Psalms and you find real struggles in people's lives and they, how they're counting it back to God in some verse fashion or a song to say, God, when I was uh, broken and lost, you came and helped me out of it. When I was down, you picked me up. When I was up too far, you brought me down. And I rejoice in the help that I've received from you. So the Word of God is one of our sources of encouragement. It's here that we see the cloud of witnesses that surround us. Kenneth Weiss said about the word martis and these witnesses, these are people who can testify to what he has seen or heard or knows by any other means and was used in the early church, the word martus, to designate those who have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in the Lord Jesus by undergoing a violent death. And that's why we have All Saints Day, was to honor them. They're not really onlookers. They're those who have been retained to bear witness. It's like the apostles. I think it's Acts chapter 4. Verse 19, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 
they were in front of those who wanted to punish them further or incarcerate them further. They said, you got to quit preaching this Jesus. And they said, look, we can only talk about what we've seen and heard. This Apostle John, Polycarp's discipler. Boy, what a story the Apostle John has, by the way. They hauled him in. I don't know if you know this about him. But they, the story is that they threw him into a pot of boiling oil. And he lived. He didn't kill him. So then they put him out on the Isle of Patmos and they just excommunicated him for the rest of his life. He's the only one of the apostles, evidently, that didn't die a martyr's death, but he sure got a sample. Quit preaching Jesus. And John's testimony was, when we talk about Jesus, we can only talk about what we've seen, what we've heard, and that which we've handled. I like the addition. They said, we hung out with him. Remember last week, Phileo? Jesus wants to hang out with you. So we had the phileo moment with Jesus. We were brothers. We ate together. We traveled together. We slept. We touched him. He touched us. He spoke into our lives personally. So when we testify, we are martus. We are witnesses of only the truth. We're not making anything up. We don't have to make anything up. And that's the kind of thing that a martyr dies for. Truth. The purpose of this cloud of witnesses is to encourage you and I to run our race with patience, perseverance. It's to spur us on to keep running. We need to clarify the admonition, though. Lay aside every weight. Remember now, the Holy Spirit will help you lay aside your sins if you'll let Him. He'll work with you. But there's a personal responsibility, a human responsibility for you and I to lay aside the weights. To make a conscious effort, an act of faith, and sacrifice to God. Say, God, I'm going to run the race, but I'm taking this bathrobe off. I can't run with this on and be effective. So I'm going to take it off. What is a weight? Well, the easiest one to, to enumerate for all of us to relate to is, is that, uh, you know, the love handles right here. Oh, gee, I don't have any. Just kidding. They're there. Let's pull my pants up a little further. Superfluous flesh. Bulk, mass, it's an encumbrance. You know, I learned from Curves. You know, Janina used to be half owner at Curves, my daughter. And I went to one of the seminar things with her to meet some of the bosses and talk with them. And he stood up, he said, here's what you say. How many girls go to Curves? And you've heard the statement. Hey, you look great. Have you lost weight? Hey, you look great. Have you lost weight? It's about seven or eight words that will change your life. <laughs> change the life of the other person. Amen? You look great. Have you lost weight? And all of a sudden, that person stands up a little taller. Because that's part of the goal is to lose some of that stuff. Amen. Pounds and inches. Let's get it off. Well, hopefully your weight isn't sin. But when you talk about running a race, even runners have to lose weight. 
before they run. I think of Ryan Hall. I mean, we got the local athlete here, the Olympian right here in town that, you know, we'd honk, honk, and we'd wave. But what was he doing? He's out running around the lake. His dad's on a bicycle chasing him and uh, coaching and training. And, but he was thinning down so that when it came time to run, there was no extra weight. The Expositor's Dictionary says this, The Christian runner must rid him or herself even of innocent things which might retard him or her. All that does not help hinders. That's a great sentence. All that does not help hinders. We're watching the Olympics a few years back and this guy came and, you know, it's okay to wear the robe. It's okay to wear the warm-ups. It's okay to wear the sweats before the race. There are things that, that you can wear. They're not sinful, they're not, but they are weights. And when it comes time to run, you've got to take them off. There are things that are in our lives that, and I'm going to ask you to name a few in a minute, so you'll be thinking to help me out in just a moment, of some weights that come to your mind. There are things that are not evil, but they just don't help you when you want to try and run the Christian race. One for me would be watching the news. If I watch the news or listen to the news too much or read the news too much, read the newspapers and the magazines, pretty soon my faith is being eroded because it's just overwhelming. I mean, there is so much evil in the world that when you collect it all into a paper rag and start turning the pages, it gets real discouraging. And you wonder, what's the use sometimes? I say, wait, that's not helping me run the race. That's discouraging. I'm going to lay that weight aside. Now, there may be a period of time where I need to read it to be informed and understand what's going on in the world. Maybe it's a season of voting, which we're going to as a nation this week. There's some places that are going to be voting on Tuesday about different matters that they face in their states. But I need to be informed. I'll read that stuff then. But after a while, it becomes a weight. And I can't keep taking it on because it defeats me. It slows me down in my structure of believing. But I was watching the Olympics and this runner came out and you know he was doing his warming up and stretching and doing all this stuff and then and then they started to call for the lineup and you know it's all that velcro stuff now and they grab their waist and and off comes the pants and drops to the ground off comes the I go man that guy's barely got anything on I mean his trunks they're just so thin you know there's nothing there He's got this little shirt with the straps and no more sleeves. That's extra weight. I imagine if we took his shoes and pulled them off and looked at them, even the spikes are probably made out of something that's not metal anymore. I mean, some kind, but it's so lightweight. He doesn't wear any socks. He has shoes that he fits right into. Why? Taking off every ounce so he can run. And this guy, I mean, he's got all, everything's bulging. And I go, man, I wish I looked like him. And, uh, and he, he kneels down and he gets his feet in the blocks and he goes through his routine and he's got his fingers right on the starting line. And I'm noticing that right as he's leaning into this, he's getting his fingers, that there's this necklace hanging down off his neck. A little gold chain and I think it was his you know, emblem of his faith, no doubt. And it's hanging there and I go, oh my goodness, if he takes off running with that hanging there, it's going to beat him to death. Right? This guy's going to come up and start pumping, and this thing's going to start whacking <laughs> for a hundred yards. <laughs> and I think he must not have overlooked it. What's going to happen? 
So he gets all set, and you can see him just going through his mental regimen, everything in its order, all set. And he reaches up, and he grabs that little necklace, and he tucks it inside of his tank top. Now he's ready to go. He's carrying the weight because he wants to, but he's not going to let it defeat him when he runs. Some of you have been in that situation. You were running, wearing something you shouldn't, and it was whacking you. And it was just one of those visuals for me. I said, this guy has got every possible ounce off of him. And he is running to win. And the one last thing that might injure him, he's going to tuck down where it can't. That for me is a picture of laying aside every weight that hinders us from running successfully. So what are some of the weights? I asked you to help me. And I'll recount them after you say them because we want to get them on the recording here. But what are some weights, not sins, that you or somebody you know may need to put off? TV. That stands for television. TV. I know that. Procrastination. Resentments. Pride. Arrogance. Work. Oh, I was hoping somebody would bring that one up. Work. Unforgiveness. Laziness. Anger. Anxiety. Fear. Facebook. Come on now, you're getting personal. Hobbies. We could kind of throw that into hobbies or, or uh, things that we do in our spare time. How many of you got some spare time? I haven't seen any spare time in a decade. I don't even know what it is. On the other side could be things like ambitions. We give ourselves to something entirely to chase it down. But see, every one of us as a runner needs to honestly, honestly, with the Holy Spirit's help, judge what hinders the faith for you and then resolve to lay it aside. Even though, and this is the hard part, even though others may do that and it doesn't seem to bother them. See, that's the difference between a weight and a sin. If it's sin, it's sin for everybody, right? But a weight can be very individual. You say, well, that guy, he seems to be okay. I had guys, you know, I, I ran track and did that stuff. I was a pole vaulter and had fun with that. But there were some guys that, I mean, they never trained. They never worked out. They didn't have to do anything. They could come in and still take first. Well, that was frustrating <laughs> to the guy that's, you know, pounding down and can't eat and sweating everything off and takes the track, comes in eighth. It's like, what? It's just not fair. (laughs) Life isn't fair. You say, some things that might hinder you might not hinder everyone. You have to find it. You have to say, Holy Spirit, help me trim down. Ladies, Holy Spirit curves. No. Holy Spirit, come, help me trim down. Guys, you work out at the gym, and the Bible says that bodily exercise profits for a little while. But spiritual exercise has a promise in this life and the next. Holy Spirit, help me trim down. Show me where the weight is. What am I carrying around that I don't need? What am I doing that's just burning my life up and taking time away from running the race? That others have run before me by faith and lost their lives doing it. 
Maybe we need that threat to come to us. Maybe the threat of losing something, losing our freedom, losing access, losing our life. You feel like it's nearer than ever? I mean, we were in prayer this morning before the service, and you're welcome to join us at 8.30 on Sunday morning. We gather in the back and pray for a while before church starts. And we were praying back there and thanking God for freedom. Once again, here we are gathering under no threat. Nobody's going to come running in with a, you know, woo, 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 and cuffs and haul us off. We still have it. But I know that last week the president signed a bill that uh, funded our military and had a tag item on it on hate crimes. And now I know that if I stand here, here's how it works. I become the one who aids and abets. If I stand here and say something like homosexuality is a sin and it's really wrong and God doesn't like it. And uh, it should be repented of and there's healing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I go to the biblically. But you go out and decide that you're going to beat up a few because I said it was wrong. And then they arrest you and say, why did you do it? And you say, well, Pastor Jeff said in his message that it was wrong. And so I was just enforcing it for him. Now, I'm aiding and abetting the criminal, and I get to go to jail. That's on the books now for America. Will you visit me? Please? Make me cookies. Make me cookies with tinsel in it. You, know, you saw the movie, okay. Hey, can I get some of that tinsel? <laughs> when we run this race, this Christian race, I want to encourage you in this way. When you join the team, any team, and you put on the jersey, you now represent the whole, not just yourself. This flies in the face of our American individualism and our independence. It's one of the things I like about the Olympics is they can even have, you know, you have kind of guys you'd never heard of before, girls you'd never heard of before, people you'd never meet in your whole life, and they're not famous, but they're disciplined. And they have gone the extra length to get to the point where they've been beat, and, I mean, down, they've curved off the weight, they've trained, they've pressed, and they've made it, and they said, here's your jersey. And they put it on, and there's no name, it just says USA. See, when they put that on, they have to disappear. Yeah, they're individual accomplishments in their lives. Of course, it's going to benefit them all throughout their life. But in the moment they take the field, they recognize, even on those opening ceremonies that we love to watch, when they come in, they're wearing somebody else's uniform. They belong to a country. And how they act while they're there reflects on you and I. There's a high standard there that says you're not your own. You don't, we don't like independent players here. We like team players. Hey, one of my favorite movies, you know, I have lots of favorites, but um, Miracle is one of those about the American hockey team. You know, and they, hey, I mean, the Coach Herb just broke those kids down to where they understood they were not individuals, they were a team. And if they were going to ever beat the Russian hockey players, they had to do it as a team. They couldn't do it as individuals. And he molded them into a team, and they won that Olympic competition. You and I wear a jersey that says Jesus across the chest. And when we go into the public arena, we're not representing ourselves anymore if we've said we're Christians. And we're running a race that's honoring to him. And our encouragement comes from knowing of all these others in this great cloud of martyrs and witnesses 
have done it before us and are waiting for us to finish our race so that they together with us can be complete. They're not going to be made, the Bible says in English, perfect apart from us. That word means complete, full maturity, everything accomplished, it's all done. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says you and I should avoid every kind of evil. Well, evil could be sin. It could also be the weights that keep us from running well. The race that we're in is more than a one-time event. Wouldn't it be sweet if Christianity was a 50-yard dash? We could just pour it out for 50 yards, cross the line, say, that's it, I'm done. I've made it. But it's not. It's a whole life event. As we've said before, the only time that the ribbon's going to be broken is when we cross the line from this life to the next. And we'll be able to say, like Jesus, or like Paul, I've, I've finished my course. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there's a crown laid up for me, and not only for me only, but for all those that love His appearing. We must purpose to run the roadway that lays in front of us with patience and with perseverance. How many of you are marathoners in here? I see Christy there. Whoa, Victor, Jesse. I I have decided that running the marathon is not on my list of things to accomplish in life. I will, however, encourage others to do it if they'd like. I will even hold the water bottles out. I'll, I'll root for them along the way. Nope. Don't forget, Jeff. I've got you entered in the triathlon. Oh, yeah. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be doing the triathlon in Hawaii. Yeah, right. Running with perseverance. I only understand it from others' testimonies, and you could probably tell me personally how it works. But uh, And Anthony reminded me last night, there's a point where when you're running and everything hurts at once. And you hit the wall, mile 22 out of 26. I would never see mile 22. (laughs) I mean, four maybe, five possibly. But 22, that doesn't exist for me. Anyway, unless somebody was chasing me, maybe. I might go longer. They call it hitting the wall, and, and there's that moment where the athlete brings all of their mental ability to this one point of saying, ignore the pain until they break through. And then it's some kind of euphoria. I don't know if that's the right word, but I don't know. It must be good to be able to ignore the pain. Run with patience and with perseverance because this race stretches out in front of you to the end of your life. You're on somebody else's team. You represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to help you win. Let me read to you this passage, these two verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, in the Amplified, just before we close. Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, every unnecessary weight, 
And that sin which so readily, deftly, and cleverly clings to and entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our major encouragement. And yet there are days when we go, but I'm not like Jesus. I'm not the Son of God. So we'll then look to the cloud of witnesses who are people just like us, who hung in there to the end, finished their race with joy, with persecution, with torture, with death. And knowing that this month, another twelve to 1,500 will give their lives for the faith that you follow. And let that move you off of dead center and say, I need to be in the race. I need to be a contributor to what God's doing in the world. I need to be counted on. Where's my jersey? I want to represent Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask you this morning that you will help us see where our help comes from. Father, that in receiving encouragement, we will run with patience. We will run with perseverance. We will see the race as it stretches out in front of us as ours to win. You put us in it. You gave us your jersey. You want us to represent you. Holy Spirit, help us to trim down. Show us in this season of our life where the weights are. Now, I'm convinced that they may even change from time to time. But Holy Spirit, right now, what's hindering us? Help us to take that step of faith and lay it aside. Conscious effort. Act of faith. I'm not carrying this any further. It slows me down. And I pray that you would knit our hearts together with others who are running the race. Now, we won't be running alone. We won't try and do it all by ourselves. I pray that you will lend us the encouragement of the cloud of witnesses from the record of history and the reading of your word and from a neighbor and a friend and a cell member. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to show you a one-minute clip if it works. (laughs) I think it will work. Now, the truth about running the race is don't try to do it by yourself, right? Don't run alone. I mean, the Bible's full of great encouragement about one another, loving one another, pray for one another, you know, help one another. We've got to do the one another stuff. That's what I like about cells. You know, if you're in a race and your whole cell's in a race, then everybody can encourage everybody else. I would not ever try to run 26 miles on my own. I would have to have a group. I told uh, I was interviewed this week by two college students, Christian college students. It was strange. They called me within a half an hour of each other, asked me the same set of questions. One was from Biola, that's Hannah. One was Philip Johnson from Minneapolis. They said, I'm supposed to interview a pastor. I said, well, let's go. And then I hung up the phone, and 30 minutes later, hi, I'm supposed to interview a pastor. It was a conspiracy. <laughs> They're trying to figure out what we're doing out here.
And anyway, one of the things they asked was, how do you obtain the means of grace? What's a means of grace? How do you, how do you appropriate the grace of God in your life? What helps you grow spiritually? I said, one thing that really helps me is that I'm a worship junkie. I need to be with you and others who worship together. I really do can do okay on my own, but I love being here when we sing. I love being here when we pray. I love being here when we're together. There's a certain strength that comes from that that I do not have by myself. So if I'm going to run the marathon, I need like a line of people who are all panting with me. Amen? So enjoy this little one-minute clip. It'll, it'll make it. This is from the Special Olympics. Now, this is kind of a retake of what really happened, but it's nonetheless uh, very, very true. Be blessed. Let's run together. Amen.